This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. Social media addiction, which is a thing, makes it harder for people to make and keep friends in real life. That's because relying on social networks to connect with one another leads people to go out less and worsens friendships. That's according to a survey of more than 3,000 British adults that was commissioned by a French alcoholic beverage company. The survey found that 6 in 10 respondents meet up with friends less frequently, with 55% agreeing that social media has made relationships with friends more superficial. Not surprisingly, the average person has drifted apart from seven friends, placing the blame squarely on seeing one another in person far less than they used to. Respondents say that beyond social media, working long hours, being a parent, and living further away from their friends all contribute to a fading friendship. In looking at their large group of friends on Facebook, the average respondent would classify just 23% of them as true friends in real life. A third of those in this survey said that they wish they had more close friends now than they actually do. In this part of today's show, we'll be talking about social media addiction, what it means, how you can avoid it, and how you can deal with it if you happen to have it, or maybe one of your children does. I'm Armin Brott, and it all starts right after this. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her Mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Dr. John Huber, who is a forensic psychologist and also the chairman for mental, I'm sorry, for Mainstream Mental Health, which is a nonprofit organization. And uh, John, welcome to the show. Nice to have you. Well, thank you for having me. And part of the reason why we wanted to talk to you was about a new study that just came out. It was talking about social media addiction among young people in particular. And I think it's it's one of those things that I think everybody who has seen a teenager, and that would probably be almost everyone, uh, or, or even younger kids, has said, oh, kids these days, they're on their phones all the time. And you wonder how it's affecting their social life, and nobody seems to talk anymore. And I mean, I've seen this, and I'm sure we've all seen this. At you go to a restaurant and you see a group of kids sitting together, and they're all not talking. They're all texting. Is probably somebody else uh, in in another place. And and what, what's going on with that? What is happening exactly with with social media and social life? Well, you have to understand these kids. You know, social media has been around for them their whole life for the most part. Uh, You know, smartphones were released to the public in 2007. They're 12 years old. And since then, there are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of social media apps out there to uh, help individuals connect with other people. We know, however, that uh, 
they're they're missing a lot. Not just basic skills like how to get a job, but when you go to a job interview, looking your future employee in the eye, shaking their hand, understanding nonverbal communication when somebody's kind of cringing at something you're saying, knowing to back off. They're not getting any of that, but they feel like they are fulfilled in their friendship. And we can get fooled too. Well, how do they feel that they're being fulfilled? Is it because they get a lot of likes or, I mean, what is it exactly that that makes them feel connected to these people that they've probably mostly never met? Well, it's associated with likes and it's the attention that happens. And what, what actually goes on, we've measured this, is every time they get a like or a little bit of attention, even some people complaining to them, they get a dopamine drip, just a little bit of dopamine and it makes them feel just a little bit good and the next thing they want is another dopamine drip. In fact, it is exactly like what happens when you do heroin, only obviously not as intense. So that stimulus response mechanism, you push the button, you get a little bit of that dopamine, you just want to keep pushing that button. Now, think about in real life, you walk down a hall and you see a friend of yours and you, you get that dopamine drip when you get that smile, that look in their eyes, and you shake their hands and you get an oxytocin increase in your own body your body produces more oxytocin and all these other neurochemicals norepinephrine dopamine serotonin just goes on and on and on and what what do we get with the the online like is just the dopamine so in a lot of ways it's like drinking a diet soda your stomach gets full you get a sweet taste but it's non-nutritional you're not getting any nutritional value out of that friendship online now, is there a difference between what's going on with teenagers and, and young people as opposed to adults? Because when when kids are in school, they're often texting people that they're going to school with or they're texting their friends or they're, they're doing homework together. So there is the, the social media can in, in some ways at least be used to to extend in life, in real life, IRL friendships. Uh <laughs> As, as opposed to adults who may only communicate through social media. They may not be doing as much in-personal in personal socialization. Exactly. And, you know, the study shows that about 20%, one in five people really benefit from social media. And I, I work at two hospitals where I have privileges, and I go in and I work with people who are getting heart transplants, amputations, that sort of stuff. And it's amazing the value of social media to those people who are isolated and they can't get out. And in some cases, their their vulnerable immune systems don't allow visitors even. So they're able to actually communicate and have FaceTime or Skype with, with friends and family. And it's an amazing, amazing thing for them. I mean, compared to just a few years ago when we weren't doing that type of stuff, my patients are not getting nearly as depressed. They still are having issues. I mean, obviously, if you're looking at some major life uh, illness that it's pretty traumatic, but it's a lot easier for them to deal with stuff. And adults, on the other hand, most of us have real life experience making friends and having relationships and like that. And so what we tend to do is balance out our life with the social media. Instead of making it everything, we make it just a little bit. Now, people like you and me, we do a lot of stuff online. We spend a lot of our work time looking at, at media and stuff online. That becomes problematic. In fact, uh, I saw myself kind of being wrapped up in it. So this past summer, I took eight weeks off of social media. And 
when I got back on, it's so much easier to manage and, and realize that, hey, you know, you're getting like you were before, so back off. Unfortunately for our young kids and young adults, they don't know a world without this, and they have not learned to balance and manage that. And part of that's because of their developing brain. Brain's not completely developed until mid to late 20s. So they're still struggling with thinking like an adult. And some of it, this comes up every once in a while in the discussions about social media, about the the relentless pursuit of perfection or the because everybody's life is perfect on social media. I mean, that's all you see is the, the pictures of how great they're doing and how wonderful everything is and the new this that they got or the whatever it is. And nobody has a chance to develop any empathy for people who are having difficult times. Absolutely. And then what else are we finding out? This, this leads to nobody having self-empathy for themselves when they're not able to have that vacation. In fact, our, our millennials and the young kids coming up behind them, young adults, have the highest suicide rate of any previous generation ever. Literally one in five are attempting suicide in that age range. And I think it's directly related to that perfection that we, you just talked about. So how many friends does a typical person have? Is there such a thing? Well, think about it. Most of us are, in general have 12 relatively close friends, uh, and that varies. Within that, there's probably three or four that you may be able to tell very intimate things to, intimate secrets to, and the others you, you can talk around it. But uh, it, it does vary. What, what I tend to see in my practice, if my patients come in and they've got one or two really close friends and they're able to maintain that bond, but they tend to function much better than people who don't have any. So I think when you get one or two in that area and you're not totally dependent on any one of them, but, but you kind of share it between them, I think it's relatively uh, the bottom end of a healthy area, area as far as the numbers you have. And you can have more than that, obviously. Right. Uh, but then, you know, but then we start balancing and, and uh, you know, we might joke around with one person. And then we have another person who we can't joke around with on certain areas. And you learn that and that helps your, your self-esteem staying grounded. You know where your, your boundaries are. But over time, it tends to get worse, right? Especially, Absolutely. especially for men. Who, who tend to be much more socially isolated anyway. But, I mean, that's, that's one of the big risk factors for, for men's mental health is the, the lack of connection with other people. Absolutely. And we have to watch out for that. And, and you compare that or you, you wrap that up with this whole idea that men are, are about 50% less likely to go and ask for any kind of help when it comes to mental health issues. One of the reasons why we say women are diagnosed two times to, you know, for every man that we have two women diagnosed for depression for every man is because the men don't talk about it. The men don't bring it up and men tend to express their emotions in the one safe emotion in our society, which is anger. That's the one safe right. emotion for men. Well, but you so, have, so you have women who are twice as likely to be diagnosed, but men are four times more likely to commit suicide. So there tells you right. something's going on there. Well, and I think I think the reality of it is it's probably actually pretty even who has the depression, men and women. I think it's pretty even. The problem right. is we don't talk about it, and because we don't talk about it, we don't go and ask for help, and then we're more likely to think the best shot for us is just to end it all. 
That's pretty horrifying. And and you yes, think sir. that part of that could be mitigated by having more friends? Is that a is that possible? Absolutely. But how how do we do that? How do we how do we take time? And one of the things I try to teach my my friends, my family, my patients, and my listeners to my podcast, uh, you have to stand up for yourself. And that means taking time for yourself and doing things for you. Because if you're not taking care of you, you're not going to, in the long run, be able to take care of anybody else. Talking with John Huber, who is with Mainstream Health, and he's also a clinical forensic psychologist. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to keep talking to John about more mental health things and more things having to do with social media and beyond. I'm Armin Brant, and you're listening to Positive Parenting. If you love them enough to listen to them practice the same song on tuba, please be done. Over and over and over and over and over. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. Sounds good, honey. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. If you're just joining us, talking with Dr. John Huber, who is with Mainstream Mental Health, and he's the, he's the chairman of Mainstream Mental Health, by the way, and he's also a clinical forensic psychologist. And we've been talking about social media and isolation. So what do you suggest that people do? Let's start with, with younger people and then move forward. I mean, how do you realistically, and I emphasize realistically because it's really hard to, I mean, it's easy to say, oh, let's just cut it off. Let's just just not do it at all. That's just not going to happen. So how do you realistically get kids to engage with other humans face-to-face? Well, one of the things we did uh, at a young age, our kids, when they were little, wanted to get on the computer and all this stuff. So we started every night we would change the password on our computers to a 10 to 12, maybe 13-digit number. And then we would make a math sheet where they had to do addition and subtraction. And as their math increased, they had to do more difficult math. But they would take the answers and put them end to end to get the password. So they had to pay for access to the Internet and the computer by doing the math. And we continued that as they got older and we did that through they have to participate in things that keep their both hands busy at the same time so they can't be on a computer and my son for example is a second degree black belt my daughter is really good at basketball and she's starting wrestling now and you know she's 14 years old and she loves her nails being done yet she goes and does that but she has access to the internet and her screen time so make them pay for it. It's simple. We learn how to do that in real life. That's part of our responsibilities as an adult. We get paid for work, and that pays for our life. That's an interesting idea. That really, it's a very interesting idea. Yeah. Well, I, to... I know my kids' friends did not like the fact that we told their parents that my children had to pay for computer time by doing math. <laughs> yeah, you started a real revolution around there probably. For a little bit, yeah, I was kind of a <laughs> meanie. <laughs> yeah, and and so for for adults, 
how do we begin to wean ourselves? I mean, you said you did it for eight weeks, I think, which is a, a scary prospect for a lot of people. But, I mean, how do you – I think I just saw this thing the other day. Somebody – I forgot what company it was. It doesn't really make any difference. But they, they had – they were going to pay somebody $100,000 to be completely off of social media for a year. And wow. I think that prospect is probably scary for a lot of people. I mean, a month I, I would be so. a lot. I, I, I think so, absolutely. And, you know, my thing, you know, I, I do this with the, the nonprofit. We're out there in the media all the time. And, and I've got people in the office who are checking everything. So if there was ever any questions, they would just ask me and I would answer it and they would go back on and put it up there. So I didn't have that worry. Um, the the thing, though, that, that I recommend is to start with one day a week, whether it's Saturday, Sunday, Monday, whatever, one day a week, you just don't turn on any social media. And you might have to wean yourself. The first time you do it, you might only give yourself four hours. I mean, it's crazy because we all, hey, what if somebody from work sends us an email? You know, well, again, you're the only one who can take care of yourself and give yourself a break and help you out. So take that time for you. And what we know is if you take a week off, if you've started that cycle of depression, because we know two hours or more a day on screen time that is with social media is causal for depression. Now, not so not online because you're writing a paper or you're doing, you know, a spreadsheet, that kind of goal-directed work. That's not. But the social media stuff, two hours a day, and it is causal for depression. So what we want you to do is take that week off. And if you take that week off totally, you're no longer exhibiting the depressive symptoms unless Hmm. you truly do have some depression underlying, in which case, you know, you should probably be talking to somebody about that. Yeah. But the other thing I say is get outside. You know, you're an adult. Go down to the park. Take your dog. Go fishing. Go camping. Go hunting. My kids love to go out to the deer lease. It's like I pick up the, the, the newspaper and say, hey, we're going to go out to the deer lease, and the kids are ready before I am because they're like, no, let's go. And half the time they're inviting their friends, and we've got an entourage of teenagers out in this pasture, you know, <laughs> and uh, it's amazing. Some of these kids mm. have never been out of the city, and we take them down there. It's a 40-minute drive, and, man, it's a different world, and they just get totally absorbed in it. And you don't see the phones coming out, none of that. They're just enveloped in nature. Get out there. Get outside. So for adults, you know, we've all seen how easy children make friends. They just somehow, when they're very young, they just walk up to each other and they start talking or they just start playing yeah. next to each other. Yeah. And this will sound like such a silly question, but I'm, I'm wondering what, from, from your perspective as a clinician or just as a guy, uh, how do adults make friends when we're not really so used to it anymore? Well, you know, the, the, the trick is, if you're, if you're really worried about this, there's a lot of adult leagues, uh, co-ed softball leagues, co-ed basketball, regular basketball, men's leagues, women's leagues. Go out and do that. Sign up for it. The hard part is going to be putting your shoes on and walking out the door. That's what you're going to find out. Once you get out the door, all that stuff comes back to you as a kid. You know, instantly, you know, because you can't play basketball with the cell phone in your hand. And, you know, that, that's why I say get out and go fishing. I mean, it's one of the safest, funnest things you can do on the side of a bank. You don't need a boat. You just get out somewhere in a body of water and cast that line and keep both hands on the line, and you're going to catch some fish, and maybe you won't be as depressed anymore. 
Yeah, that's a, a good way to do it. But we, if, you, if you're somebody who's shy, who's a little bit withdrawn, what do you what do you suggest about and and not particularly sports oriented, perhaps? Well, one of the things you can do is you know go out and if, if you're shy and you don't like being shy, one of the things I recommend is to get into some of the the speaking networks. You know, uh, there there's several of them. Uh, that are out there and, and you know, Toastmasters, for example, it doesn't really cost you anything. You go to a dinner once or twice a month and everybody takes turns and you're not forced to speak, uh, but you have an option to do that. Again, that's something you need to be there and be present and interact with. The other thing is, you know, go, go to church, get up and, and go do that sort of thing. You know, not everybody is a church person. So there are other types of organizations, your community watch organizations, those types of things. You don't have to talk much. You just need to kind of be present. And uh, that's sometimes hard to do. So then I recommend if you're really having a hard time socially is go find a good therapist. And a lot of times they will refer you to actually a therapy group. And a therapy group is less expensive. It tends to be uh, a lot of People with very similar issues, not the same issues, but if, for example, everybody maybe in there is depressed, but the reasons why they're depressed may be different, and it's amazing how you start realizing you're not the only person in this world feeling that way, and you can start busting through those barriers. Now, again, men have a hard time with that, with that socialization, and uh, if you're, you know, not into sports, you're kind of limited in certain situations, uh, but you can also be involved in observing sports. Um, I know in different areas of the country, we have things like NASCAR, and we have F1 racing here in Austin, Texas, and uh, there's also a, a upspring of rally car and races around the United States, and that's something you can go and watch. You don't have to drive, but a lot of places actually have uh, cars you can rent and, and race in uh, because it's timed. It's a relatively safe way to race because you've got a track and you go by yourself and they time it. Everybody just has a time that they have to hmm. beat, and maybe you beat it, maybe you don't, but you're not smashing into anybody like NASCAR. And uh, you don't have to have a car in a lot of places. Like I said, they've got uh, for a couple hundred dollars, you can rent a car for the day and, and compete, and it's pretty amazing. Hmm. And it's but that's the kind of thing. It sounds like you're not going to have a lot of interaction with people, but just being around other people can help. You feel less alone or less isolated. Actually, you're right, and and you'd be surprised actually how much interaction is involved in that kind of a situation. You've typically got a helmet on with a radio, and there may be something not going right with your car, and it's driving funny, and you can communicate with the mechanics and the other race car drivers who'll give you tips on how to drift through this curve and that curve, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, you're a peer, you're not a boss, you're not a supervised individual, an employee, anything like that. You're out there just having a good time, and uh, and it's a safe, I mean, you have to meet all the safety requirements for all the racing associations there, so the vehicles are about as safe as you can make them, and mm -hmm. typically safer than be driving down the street, so, you know, it's, it's a lot of human interaction, you'd be surprised how much actually goes on been talking with John Huber, who's a clinical forensic psychologist and the chairman of Mainstream Mental Health, which is MainstreamMentalHealth.org. John, thanks so much. Thank you so much.
One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and it's time for a Parents at Play segment. Just because half the country is being blasted by the latest polar vortex doesn't mean that you and your family can't enjoy some sports-themed fun. NFL Electric Football from Tudor Games. Unlike other games where you set up figurines on a sports field and move them around manually, in this one, the figures move around by themselves. The magic is in the vibrating gridiron which has three user-controlled speeds, and the player's cleats. Some are built for speed, others for doing battle in place. You can slow down the action so your blockers can do their job, or speed it up if your running back or receiver breaks loose. If this game sounds a little familiar, you're not wrong. The first electric football game came out in 1949, but this newest iteration takes the original concept to a whole new level. comes with decals from each NFL team so you can customize your games. Batteries required. It's for two players, ages six and up. Costs about $60, and you can find out more at TudorGames.com. Baseball Guys from Caskey Kids. Compared to football, baseball is a lot less action-oriented. But for those who love the game, it's just as engaging. With Baseball Guys, two managers face off. How the game goes from there is completely up to you. It includes 26 2.5-inch tall players, an umpire, a fully adjustable scoreboard, a washable felt field, and an instruction book with baseball rules and strategy tips. And it all fits neatly into a solid plastic storage container, meaning you can play your games at home or away. Aside from providing hours of baseball-themed fun for the family, the figures and field can be used by parents and coaches to explain strategy, plays, rules, and on-field movement. And since they're washable, the guys also make excellent birthday cake or cupcake ornaments. Baseball Guys encourages open-ended play. That's the kind where imagination rules. For example, why not use those building sets you have around the house to build a stadium so all of your child's other figurines can watch the game? It's for two players, ages three or up, $25 at caskeykids.com. The Kitty Star Karaoke Machine from VTech. Whether it's baseball, football, basketball, hockey, or just about any other sport, the game doesn't start without the national anthem. And with this kid-friendly karaoke machine, even kids who aren't terribly interested in sports can get involved. The Kitty Star Machine comes with eight original songs, but it also connects to your personal MP3 player or device so your little performer can let loose with his or her favorite track. Don't have a karaoke soundtrack? No problem. Music Magic Mode does a nice job of turning down the volume on vocal tracks so your child can go solo. It comes with disco lights, applause and cheering tracks, and even voice-changing effects for the complete on-stage experience. Plus, there's a built-in recorder that captures up to five minutes of performance gold. Batteries required. It's for ages five and up, 
costs less than $50. You can get more information at vtechkids.com. The musical Hop Skipper from Kids Source. Let's face it, playing baseball or football on a board or singing karaoke is fun, but cooped-up kids need to get up and moving so they can burn off some of that pent-up energy. Set the adjustable arms to one of three height settings, pick your speed, and the musical hop skipper will have your kids literally jumping for joy as they try to avoid the spinning arms. Don't worry, they aren't spinning fast enough to cause any harm. Kids can jump solo or compete with friends or family. It's great for indoor use as long as you have enough space to accommodate the 50 and a half inch wingspan. It's for kids ages 3 and up, costs under $38. You can get more at kidssourceproducts.com. And you can find a lot more reviews of toys, games, and activities to do with your family at our website, parentsatplay.com. We'll be back next week with another brand new show for you. But don't go yet, because there's a lot more of this positive parenting show, as you know, coming right up. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner, Carol, or my karaoke enemy, Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Now, get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brat from the MrDad.com radio network. Hey there, welcome to the second part of today's positive parenting show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Armin Brat, the founder of MrDad.com. With the rise of any technology comes a surge of those who would abuse it for their own gain, and it's up to us to protect ourselves from cyber scams and hackers. Every new device, online service, or social media account you use that improves your life also opens new doors for attackers looking to discover your passwords, bank accounts, personal photos, and all other manner of personal information. In this part of today's show, we're going to be speaking with a cybersecurity expert who's worked with the FBI and major financial institutions, and we're going to be talking to him about some of the most common questions he hears, like, how can I protect myself at home on a personal level and away from the office? The truth is that cybersecurity and online privacy are daunting issues to the average person. And in this part of today's show, we're going to be simplifying good cyber hygiene and debunking some common cybersecurity myths with the goal of helping you and and me too, of course, protect ourselves and our families from identity theft, fraudulent schemes, hacking, and more. 
Digital security is one of the most important and least understood aspects of our daily lives. But it doesn't have to be. And by the time we're done with this show, it's not going to be for you anymore. I'm Armin Brott. We'll talk about cybersecurity when Positive Parenting continues right after this. To protect her home and family in a disaster, Karen was willing to wade through water, mud, and insurance paperwork. Yeah, I can do this. You go, Karen. By simply understanding and updating what her insurance covers and doesn't cover now, she'll be better prepared no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Bart McDonough, who is the author of Cyber Smart, Five Habits to Protect Your Family, Money, and Identity from Cyber Criminals. Bart, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. How big a problem is cyber crime? I think it's something that everybody is aware of on some level, and I would imagine most people say, I have a password. That should be enough. Yeah, well, uh, to the first part of your question, how big of a problem is it? You know, I, you know, there's there's numbers in the billions that the FBI reports, but I think where it gets a little bit more practical and what's happened over the last, yeah, you know, probably three to five years is where it's moved from the state-sponsored attacks of big corporations and big government entities, where it's kind of gone downstream, and you have these crime organizations targeting individuals. And their thinking is if they can get $500 or $1,000 off, off lots of people, that will raise them um, and earn them lots of money. I guess I'll, I'll um, maybe not use the word earn, but they will be able to collect lots of money. And that's what's happening. We're seeing more everyday people um, get victimized for these $500, $1,000. And, yeah, there are the $50,000 or $100,000 ones. It's a, it's a really big deal affecting everyone. Well, let's break this down a little bit because uh, there, there are so many different ways and so many different approaches, and I would imagine everybody has received something that says, Dear friend, uh, I'm the banker of, you know, well, my, my customer, John Smith, died and didn't have a will and we're trying to get the money out, that kind of thing. Is that what you're talking about, or, or what are the... What are the various approaches that, pe- that people are trying to are becoming victims to? Yeah, you know, it's, those uh, those methods uh, aren't working as much anymore, and, and well, we call good. those kind of the the the, the positive methods, uh, where they're they're trying to entice you with riches. Uh, the reality is, those don't work too well. Um, what's happening is they're tricking people through social engineering. Um, through means of trying to scare them, create what I call digital pain, telling you that, that you have a late bill or um, mm. you have uh, uh, you know credit card fraud happening, you've been hacked, and then you fall victim to it. And what's the, what's the crime is they'll actually then try to install some kind of malware on your machine, uh, most notably ransomware. Ransomware is, is famous for locking up your files. Um, and you need to pay some fee. It usually ranges from 300 to to $1,000 uh, 
um, for you to unlock your files. And if you don't have a backup copy, and those are really critical files, sometimes paying the ransom is the only way. And that's been an enormously, uh, let's call it impactful um, uh, development over the last couple of years. It's been enormously successful for the bad actors, and we've had even police departments in the United States have had to play, pay the ransom. Yeah, I've heard from uh, I've heard about that. Ransom. Yeah, hospitals. Yeah. I've heard there were a number of cases of hot, big hospital systems that got locked up, and that's that's bad news. Yeah, so, the entire city of Atlanta is like critical yeah. um, uh, emergency system, like their their nine one one system and everything. So what's the approach that regular people can take on that? I mean, we'll, we'll leave the cities and hospital systems to fend for themselves right now, but what can our listeners do? I mean, is it as simple as don't open links or yeah. or don't respond to those robocalls that tell you that they're from the IRS and that you're about to be arrested? Yeah, well, both good good suggestions, but... The, the premise of the book was, let's boil this down, and that's why kind of the subtitle is These Five Habits. And so what we've done, and we work with businesses and people, and we, we really looked at, at efficacy. What, what are the habits? And, and that's a key word, because habit means something you do continuously. What are the habits that lead to the most effective cyber defense? We have these five, um, and I'll just talk about a couple of them. Um, but most importantly, uh, I would say everyone needs to have unique passwords for all their logins. I'm not talking about you need to have a 20-digit crazy, uh, uh, very complex one, but I want it to be unique. I want it to be different for every login. Um, second, I want you to enable multi-factor authentication. Um, some, of, some of the sites uh, support that. If you don't know what that is, multi-factor authentication is usually it, – it, it, it stands for something you know, such as your password, plus something you have. Usually that is your phone. Um, most of you might be familiar with this where you, you log into the site and says you've sent a text message to your phone. Yes. Please enter in that three six-digit code to verify. Right. If right. you do those two things, and I recommend five total, but those two things are very powerful um, in order to keep you safe online. I have a few others, docking through devices, yeah. keeping your devices updated. Uh, yeah, well, let, installed and updated. yeah, well, we'll get into this. I, w- I want to go back to the first one, though, about having a, a, yeah. a different password for each thing. I just read this article the other day. They were talking about how the traditional eight-digit password is not enough anymore, that those can be hacked in a matter of minutes by fairly rudimentary computer programs that are set up to do that kind of thing. But I, I wonder how you how you feel about these password managers, and I've got something called... Uh, what's it called? LastPass is the one that I have, and I know that there are other ones, but that that do exactly that. You can just say, you know, to give me a 15-digit password. I have no idea what any of my passwords are except for the one to get into that thing. Do you yeah, recommend those? Highly, and, and that's exactly how I operate. And if you interact with most cyber professionals, that's what they're using. They're using LastPass. They don't know their own passwords. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't get too caught up on the 8-digit versus 10-digit, 12-digit, because usually that only is the case when the bad actors have stolen the password database and they've been trying to crack it. The reality is even if they crack that password, um, as long as that password isn't the same at your other websites, you're okay. 
um, uh, or your or your exposure is limited. Let's put it that way. Yeah. The, 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 where people really get into trouble is they use the same password everywhere. So your password gets stolen, and that can, it can get stolen through any number of ways. But let's say it gets stolen, uh, you the, the, the most the most likely way is that you give it away. You get tricked and type it into the wrong website, uh, or you email it back to someone. And if that same username and password uh, works on many other websites, that's where they get you. So that's where I focus on unique passwords. And the best way to do that is with a, a password manager. I personally use LastPass as well. Uh, highly recommend it. There's another one, one, one password, uh, Dashlane. There's a couple that are right. all very good products. Can you help us to do something about a hierarchy of of options because I think if somebody were to get into my account at the public library, I don't really care about it, about my library card really. I mean that's that's out the end of it. But if somebody gets into my IRA, I got a problem with that. That that's a big deal. So do you have more security with higher value targets? Yeah, yeah, we, we certainly do. Uh, but that said, here's the mistake people make. Let's, let's talk about your library card. You say I don't really care about that, but if that's the same password you use for your IRA or your bank or whatever, right, then right. it becomes, you know, the, the least common denominator. So, but yes, we do like to look for investment accounts, banking accounts, social media, and most importantly, your email. And the reason email is, is because that's the place where they can reset passwords so easily. So people sometimes don't prioritize their email accounts uh, as importantly as their banking or investment accounts. And I would tell you, because it's a, you know, all eggs and uh, eggs in one basket kind of uh, situation that I would really prioritize your email account, certainly when you're thinking about a complex password, but almost more importantly, two-factor authentication. So I want you to really enable two-factor authentication on, on your email investment banking uh, account. Okay, so you talked about the first two methods about uh, yeah. having having different passwords for every single thing, and go on with the with the rest of them. Sure. So next is a, is, is a two-factor authentication. After that, it's keeping your devices updated. And I'll tell you, this is one of those things that, um, you know, the reason we recommend these five, or, and I feel strongly about these five, is really a defense in depth. You might get tricked on clicking something. Um, but the damage can be really minimized if, one, you have two-factor authentication, you have different passwords, and your machine whether that's your, your laptop or your phone or tablet, who's running the latest software. Oftentimes, bad actors take advantage of the fact that as users, we don't update our devices. We click that not now, maybe later button, and we just ignore it. Um, and so they write software to take advantage of known, sometimes very old vulnerabilities. There was a study done last year that said most vulnerabilities that were exploited, there was a fix out for over a year and yet they were still able to exploit them. Wow. So that's why I, I recommend that. And it's a habit. You just have to do it frequently. Once a month, update all your devices. Okay. And by devices, it's your laptop, your phone, but also your router, printers, all of those devices. Mm. Just make sure. And now it's getting easier and easier because you can enable automatic updates. Talking with Bart McDonough, who's the author of Cyber Smart, Five Habits to Protect Your Family, Money, and Identity from Cyber Criminals. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will keep talking to Bart. 911, what is your emergency? My kid shot himself. All right, where's the wounds? 911, what's your emergency? Please help. My son shot his brother. 911, what is your emergency? 911, please state your emergency. 
Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. It wasn't locked. It wasn't locked. Learn how to make your home safer at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire. Did you know 26 million Americans have kidney disease and most don't know it? Did you know understanding your risk of kidney disease may be the first step in treating it? Visit the National Kidney Foundation at kidney.org. Now you know. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brown. If you're just joining us, talking with Bart McDonough, who's the author of Cyber Smart, Five Habits to Protect Your Family, Money, and Identity from Cyber Criminals. Uh, Bart, so we were we went through the first three of the five habits. And just to, to refresh us, that was making different passwords for everything and having two-factor authentication and updating your devices. So what's what's four? Yeah, so making sure that you have antivirus on your machines, and it sounds so basic, um, but actually antivirus usage is down over the last few years. And I, I, I attribute that mostly uh, to the rise in um, Apple computers and people thinking uh, you don't need antivirus on a Mac. You absolutely do. I use a Mac. I absolutely have. I, I, I usually run two or three different antivirus programs. It's a real basic, but again, when we're thinking about defense in depth, just make sure you have antivirus. You don't need to have two or three. Just have one. Uh, there's several really good vendors out there. Uh, Sophos is one that I, I highly recommend for, for users right now. Which one uh, is that? There's several. Sophos, S-O-P-H-O-S. Oh, don't know it. Uh, uh, .com. It's a very good one. It works on, the, on Windows and Mac uh, um, equally well. That's why I recommend it. Some of them tend to be stronger on one platform or another. Sophos tends to be pretty good. Uh, between the two platforms. They have an annual subscription, uh, like a family uh, uh, subscription, so that you can buy one license and, and cover your entire household. Uh, and just make sure it's running. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a real basic, but again, if you make a mistake, which we're all prone to, some of the phishing campaigns are really good. The, the, the emails can really trick us. If we have antivirus, we might prevent any malicious attempt after we make that mistake. Yeah. So again, defense in depth. What about the things like that come with basic programs like Windows has got a Windows Defender? Is that yeah. a worthwhile program or, or should there be something else? Because I think that since that comes with Windows, a lot of people probably think that they're already covered. Yeah, it, it, you know, six months ago, I would give you a different answer than I'll give you right now. Um, Defender has come a long way, and Defender right now is a, is a very good piece of software. Um, uh, so yes, I think it's, it, it's certainly good enough. Um, six months ago, uh, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't touching a lot of kind of basics, uh, maybe nine months ago, but it was still, it, it, it's gotten much, much better. Um, but there isn't a, a default one on the Mac. So you definitely okay. want to make sure okay. you have something there. That's kind of surprising. You'd think that Apple would come up with something. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I've been waiting for them to have something. Uh, they have this personal firewall, but they don't have a, a real antivirus program. They're just expecting you to, to solve that, I guess, on your own. Well, that's the Apple thing, I guess. Just yeah. There you go. So, all right. So, and, and then what's the what's the fifth one? It's just keeps your data backed up. Back up your data. And the biggest reason there is 
um, again, defense and death, if you, if, if you are uh, impacted by a ransomware event, you don't have to pay the ransom if you have a copy of your data. Uh, it is the simplest way to protect against ransomware. Again, all those other things that I, I, I outlined, if you have your, your device is updated, uh, you have antivirus, you might prevent it from attacking you at all. But mm-hmm. let's say those things fail. Ultimately, if you have a copy of your photos and your tax returns and, and, and all of those sensitive documents you have, and if they get locked up by, by ransomware and you don't have a copy, unfortunately, you might have to pay that ransom and no one else can do that. So just, 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 just yeah. stamp your data. Well, let's just take ransomware as an example. So let's imagine that you are a victim of ransomware and your files are all locked up. What do you do? And you'll and, and take the best case scenario. Okay, I already have a backup, so I'm not worried about that. Do you yeah. format your drive? Do you throw your computer away? What do you do to ensure that you can continue to use your device and get yeah. back to normal? Yeah, great question. Um, so you don't need to throw your device away. So that's, I think, uh, the, the idea that when people get infected with malware, viruses, that their devices be thrown away. We, we can get rid of that notion. You don't have to do that. But you do need to format. You do need to kind of start from scratch. Uh, and whether you go to a, a local Geek Squad or an Apple Genius Bar and have them do that, uh, that's what I would recommend if you're not, if you don't know how to do that yourself. Uh, usually it's a, you know, it's probably, uh, depending on the age of your system, it might cost you $100 or so uh, to have that performed. It can be highly inconvenient because um, uh, you have to, you know, kind of rebuild your machine, install your application, connect all your websites, all that stuff. But no, you do not have to throw your device away. But yes, I would uh, reinstall the operating system from scratch. Okay. Yeah, that's a very important thing because I think that, that there is a tendency to think, oh, my God, the, this is it. I've been, con- I've been completely infected, and that's the end of it. So you don't need, yeah, to, just, don't need to run it over with your car or any of that. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to hit it with a hammer. I actually uh, just spoke to a, a small doctor's office, and they got hit. And unfortunately, they called me after the fact that they spent $16,000 buying all new computers that they absolutely did not, did not have to do. Yeah, yeah, really, really too bad. So what are the, the biggest issues that you deal with? I mean, it sounds like ransomware is a big one, but I'm sure for, for most people, that's yeah. probably not the biggest thing. What are the, yeah, what are I, the ones? I, I mean, you're talking about, uh, about your identity as well, not just your passwords and, and where people are going with the things that they discover. Yeah, I'll tell you the ones that are, are, are just heartbreaking to me. It's this, what we, we call it wire transfer fraud. And you think wire transfers, that's a, that's a business issue. Well, what we're seeing happen is when people go to buy a home, and I, I tell a, a, a really painful story about this um, in the book, but um, it, and this has happened hundreds of times, maybe even in the thousands, where uh, the night before you're, you're closing, you get an email from your lawyer, and it says, you know, here you go, here's your closing documents wire X amount of money, uh, here's my, my, my personal escrow account, uh, send that to us, and, you know, looking forward to seeing you, congrats on your new home. And then a couple hours later, there'll be another email um, that says, oh, we made a mistake in our, in our closing statement, and, you know, you need to pay. And it's actually usually a little less, and here's the wire instructions. And you don't realize that the wire instructions are different because you didn't memorize the wire instructions from the first email. You print it out, you go to your bank the next morning, you wire away the money, uh, and you go to the closing, and everyone's looking at you like, where are the, where are the funds? Where is the money? Um, and you, and, you, and what, what's happened with these bad actors are, are really targeting real estate uh, uh, attorneys, 
um, real estate agents. Usually those are small offices, not, you know, they don't have large IT teams. They're not very sophisticated. Uh, they're targeting those and they're just infecting them and just watching. And so they're not taking over the account. They're just watching. And then when the time comes, they strike and send an email that is identical to the original one, but they just changed a few things. And it's really heartbreaking when people wire away, sometimes their life savings on these, uh, on, on these home purchases. Oh, so that's, that's, probably the, that's probably the biggest thing that, that we deal with and we worry about. Again, a $500,000 thing isn't great. You have to have the, the expense of you know, rebuilding your machine. But these things can be really life-altering, these wire transfer fraud. So, yeah. again, we want people to be, you know, on, on that scenario, um, I would say just never trust a wire transfer uh, attempt uh, through simply email alone. Get verbal confirmation and sometimes even video or in-person confirmation. Yeah. We don't wire that. And, and normal citizens, we don't wire that often. Take that extra step. Exactly. Yeah. And you have in, in the book, you talk about a, some job scams where people are sound like they're getting interviewed for jobs and they get an assignment and uh, it's it, they just get totally ripped off. Can you describe one of those? Yeah, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a bunch of different scams. I would say, you know, in, in lieu of time, I, I would say that the fake help desk scams are probably more uh, more common to the tune of like 100 to 1 to the job scams uh, okay. where people call you and say, I pretend to be Microsoft or I'm pretending to be Apple. Um, and they'll tell you, hey, we see, um, we see something wrong with your computer. For $100, we'll fix that for you. And most people are like, that's amazing. I'll, here's my credit card. And not only have you just paid $100, but sometimes they now have stolen your credit card and they're going to use that again and again. Um, and all they're doing is just trying to convince you that they are uh, Apple or Microsoft are the two largest ones. And then right behind that is, is, is the IRS itself, uh, uh, quote unquote, the IRS, where they, where they try to pretend they're the IRS and you owe some small amount of taxes. Sometimes it's 200 300 $400. Most people would consider that a small amount. And they just say, okay, I'll, I'll take care of it and give credit card details over the phone. Neither of those organizations or, or all three of those organizations, none of those organizations would, would ever uh, call you proactively like that and ask for your credit card details over the phone. Right. I think the fair thing to say is if anybody calls you and asks you for your credit card number, the answer is no. Correct. Absolutely. I think, yeah, there's really no excuse. Yeah. Yeah, All right. Yeah, Bart McDonough, thank you so much. He's the author of Cyber Smart, Five Habits to Protect Your Family, Money, and Identity from Cyber Criminals. Bart, thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.